I've entitled this, Christmas Means All God's Promises Can Be Trusted. Christmas means all God's promises can be trusted. It's a shame to stand before something really great, wonderful, glorious, and, and not be moved. It means something is distracted or worse, something is dead or something is numb inside. Something, something truly wonderful is meant not to just be seen, but it's meant to be felt deeply on the inside. Our culture doesn't lend itself toward that. We're more and more uh, technologically poised to be able to major on things that are trivial and self-centered things. Every time my wife shows me Christians on Instagram or Facebook arguing about politics or theology or church or vaccinations, I find myself quietly thanking God that I have a life. We seem to be more and more advanced in the capacity to more quickly and with a broader audience focus on things that are light and self-absorbed than ever before. Apparently, a picture of some celebrity's backside can crash social media. That's our appetite for stupidity, people. Fluff and emptiness is what our culture is good at. So I say it again, to stand before something truly, marvelously, staggeringly important and wonderful and not be caught up in it, moved by it. It might not be a sin, but it's close. It's close because that's the soil in which sin grows. When we fritter our attention on tiny things, in the face of God's great glory, we are more easily tempted to all sorts of sins. When you hear the alarm, shut it off, roll over, and go to sleep, instead of getting up and going to church, there is more happening in your soul than you think. God created us to be moved, truly moved, by things that are really great. When we lose that, we lose something that makes us more alive, more like image of God bearers. Small souls are absorbed by small things, absorbed with small things. And now we're ready to come to the truth I want to talk about after that little intro. Because there's nothing, truly nothing, more wonderful than what happens in the Christmas event, Advent, the coming of Jesus, his first coming. To, to just think about it lightly, to not be moved by it, moved beyond just the fuzzy sentiment that our culture is good at, is, is to miss something of God's glory. And so this is a teaching this morning, it won't be a long one, that I want to, in whatever small measure I can, maybe to awaken a fresh sense of 
something else that's very important about Christmas. So freshly pondered Christmas glory. I want to focus on one additional thing, maybe you haven't thought about it, that makes Christmas truly wonderful and truly glorious. And here's the conclusion of the message right up front. Christmas means all of God's promises can be trusted. That's what I want to try and demonstrate. Christmas means all of God's promises can be trusted. Here's a text I have. Acts chapter 3, verses 22 to 26. I'm not sure that I have ever used this as a Christmas text before. Acts 3, 22 to 26. Peter's Pentecost sermon. And he says, we jump into the middle of it. Moses said, quote, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Peter continues. And all of the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Peter says, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. What's that have to do with Christmas, Pastor Don? This is Peter's Pentecost sermon. He's explaining the coming of Jesus into the world. That's what Peter's talking about. And, and the striking feature of this text is the way Peter, at least initially, he seems to belabor major on the preparation of Christ's coming almost more than the coming itself. Peter's point, as he proclaims this message, is that Jesus didn't just come. Jesus didn't just arrive. That seems very clear and a very important part of the Advent message in Peter's mind. Because he comes to that point over and over again. I don't know if you noticed. Verse 22, he says, Moses predicted the arrival of a prophet like himself. And then Moses pressed, saying it was crucially important that everyone listen deeply to this coming one. Verse 24, Peter says, Samuel. And then he says, all the prophets who came after him spoke of the coming of Christ. This is long before Christ came, of course. Then in verse 25, Peter wraps up by talking about Abraham and God's promise that all the families of the earth would be blessed through the coming, the advent of Jesus. So whatever else Peter's doing as he speaks, his point surely must be that all this preparation, Moses, Samuel, all the prophets, going back to Abraham, his point surely is, this wasn't an accident. God put a lot of work into pre-announcing this great Christmas event. 
And here's what I think that means for us today. Point number one. Christmas isn't just about the advent. It's about a promised advent. So, so the particular glory of Christmas isn't just that Jesus arrived. The particular glory of Christmas is that his arrival was a promised arrival. That Jesus came means our God is a rescuing God. Precious truth, that. That he came means that our God is a redeeming God. That he came means, for people like me, God is a forgiving God. That's immeasurably precious, and we'll give a whole teaching to it on Christmas Eve. But that Jesus' advent was a promised advent means our God is not just a redeeming God. It means, it means our God is a truthful God. Our God is a promise-keeping God. Our God is always a trustworthy God. Thinking it through. It means he didn't just rescue us on a whim. He didn't just rescue us as a result of feeling good on a particular day. It, it means he is of such a nature. Father God is of such a nature that he makes promises and then he always keeps promises. He can be counted on to, to always be faithful to what he has said. Our title, Christmas Means All God's Promises, All of Them, Can Be Trusted. This is how the Apostle Paul, he restated the same sort of foundational truth. Romans 15, 8 and 9 says, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. Look at this. To show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Couldn't be stated more clearly. Christ came, Paul says, first to the Jews to show God's truthfulness, to confirm the promises given. And the Gentiles will glorify God for his mercy. So Christmas means... When God speaks, when God says anything, when God says anything, it is 100% true. Part of the glory of Christmas is we see the universe and we see our lives in this confusing, mixed up world. Finally, finally, we have something sure that we can lean on. We have something sure that we can always trust. I don't know if you knew this. I hope I'm not shocking you. Not all politicians always tell the truth. <laughs> not all churches tell the truth. Not all preachers tell the truth. Not all bankers tell the truth. 
Not all teachers and professors tell the truth. Not all scientists tell the truth. Not all judges and lawyers tell the truth. The media can almost never be counted on to tell you the whole truth. Where, where does this leave us? Where does this leave us? We, we need to know our way. We need a reliable path. Christmas means God always tells the truth. He always keeps his word. God never says anything that isn't absolutely and fully true. There is no such thing as an empty promise from God. There is no such thing as an idle threat from God. His words are the deepest reservoir that we have of reality and reliability. Advent proves God always keeps his promises. We, we mark our calendars. Think about it. The whole world. We mark our calendars around the idea that God is faithful. That God is faithful. Point number two. It's related to the first point but goes deeper. God is true to his promise, even when it doesn't look like he is. We have another great text to look at. I've preached on it before in a whole series, but I just want to refer to it from the prophet Micah. If you want to look it up, you're, you're lucky if you have your iPad, because you can just go back and find it. If you have the scriptures, just kneel and pray, God, Micah, where is Micah? <laughs> Micah chapter 5. Two, three, and four. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you, here's a promise, from you shall come forth one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for he shall be great to the ends of the earth. I've preached on that whole text but there's just one thought I want to bring out this morning that isn't obvious just from that text. When Micah made this glorious prophecy to Israel, it was one of the least likely times for it to be believed. There was no evidence of this. It's one thing to... Let your lofty thoughts soar when the fireworks are bursting and the band is playing. We all know and enjoy our great moments in life, and they're worth celebrating. But Micah's words, they had to have, they had to have a particularly empty ring to them when he spoke. Israel was sinking into complete oblivion when Micah gives this prophecy. I mean oblivion. The northern kingdom had already been destroyed. Judah was about to come under the sternest judgment of God for her unbelief and her rebellion. There was, 
There was nothing, nothing hopeful on the horizon when Micah gives this prophecy. Nothing. Then comes Micah. And he speaks, God speaks through Micah about Advent. About a great king coming. About a redeemer who would be great to the ends of the earth. And God manifests, chooses to manifest this most majestic of all promises when the promise would look precisely the most impossible. God works this way over and over again in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever studied, this isn't on any of the notes, so don't panic up there in the booth. I don't know if you've ever taken the time to seriously study the book of Lamentations. It's the saddest book in the Bible. The darkest book in the Bible in many ways. It's set in 587 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar, the mighty armies of Babylon have surrounded Jerusalem. Jerusalem's beloved walls. Palaces, strongholds destroyed. The city turned to rubble. The people are locked into the city. It's a siege that lasted for years. The people can't get out. There's no supplies that can get in. This really happened. It's not a story. The temple has been burned to the ground, all the sacred buildings. Priests were massacred in the temple. Parents had seen their infants die of starvation in their arms. That's Lamentations 2, 11 and 12. Young women were brutally raped. Lamentations 5, 11 to 13. Get this. I'm not trying to gross you out. It's in the text. Parents had seen infants die of starvation in their arms and would eat the remains of their children to keep from starving to death themselves. Lamentations 4.10. It's right in the text. They had seen the bodies of young and old piling up in the streets. No way of burying them. Lamentations 2, 21, 4, 7, and 8. And here's the thing. Right in the middle of it, right in the middle of that, I'm going to talk to you about a couple of verses you know. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Do you know the rest of it? His mercies, say it, Never come to an end. They are new every morning. And great is your faithfulness, O God. Isn't it strange? That's the thing we sing. The steadfast love of the... Did you know where it came from? That's the book. These are the circumstances. Why? What in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, where do those beautiful words fit into this gruesome story? Because in the middle of it all, God made a promise. I will bring you back. 
the lesson. Please hear it, church. It's precious beyond my ability probably to tell it as forcefully as it needs to be told. God's promise. God's truthfulness. God's absolute faithfulness to always keep his word, hear me, is never to be measured by the limited horizon of my present circumstances. God's grace isn't limited to the power of my imagination right now to picture it. Do you see what I'm saying? God's word overrides dark circumstances. There's always a different picture, a bigger picture, because Advent, Christmas means God always keeps all his promises. He always keeps all his promises. Point number three. Stand in joyful wonder at the glory, this glory of Christmas, in the middle of your present circumstances. So the question comes, Pastor Don, that's great. I hear what you're saying. Why does this matter to us? Why is the coming of God the Son more precious in this promise-keeping context? Why, would we not be just as rescued if Jesus came into this world unannounced, would we not be just as saved if we were just surprised by the coming of Jesus and he died on the cross for my sins? Wouldn't we be forgiven? And probably the answer is yes. We would be just as saved, just as forgiven. But the nature of Christ's promised coming gives us all more than just the forgiveness of sins. We are given the gift of hope. Hope for situations that seem hopeless. We are given an answer to every time we ask the question, is, is this all there is? Is there no hope when the heart still aches at the loss of a loved one? Is there no hope when that son or daughter is far from Christ? Is there no hope for a marriage that has turned into a nightmare? Is there no end to this ridiculous COVID madness? An Advent, the promised Advent, proves our God is faithful beyond the dreams of my own imagination for a happy ending. There's more. When God promises keeps his promises. You may find that easy to believe. You may not find it easy to believe in the muddle of your present circumstances. But God keeps his promises anyway. It's his nature. This is, this is church, this is glory to marvel at and to try and rest in. Jesus came into this world do you ever wonder why in the middle of this wonderful Christmas story and all the Gospels, you have King Herod butchering all the babies under two years of age? Where's, what, what's that doing in the story? Because, because that's the kind of world Jesus comes into. Your world. 
all messed up. He didn't come into Narnia. This isn't some Middle Earth myth. He came to Bethlehem, six miles from Jerusalem, 9,322 kilometers from Newmarket. The incarnation account does not open with the words, once upon a time. So, before he came, the whole world was being prepared to learn something really important about the Father who sent the Son. It is one of the greatest praiseworthy features of our God. Remember how I opened. It's a crime to stand before something wonderful and not be moved by it. And here's one of the most praiseworthy features of Father God. He will never lie to you. He will never fail to keep his promise. That baby that was born in the manger and grew up is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is absolutely nothing in heaven or earth or under the earth that can change the solid, trustworthy, promise-keeping nature of Father God. If you don't see it yet, then you just don't see it. But he is. He's proven that in meeting our deepest needs with his promised coming this Christmas. My final plea is come to Christ wherever you are hearing this message. What I'm saying, church, is there is nothing for your life, there is nothing trustworthy outside of Christ. I don't know if you've thought of it that way. There is nothing trustworthy outside of Christ. There is nothing reliable. There is nothing you can count on for your guilty conscience, for the sins of your past, for your fears of the future, for your fear of death and what lies beyond, for facing a holy God. You have nothing reliable to go on whatsoever except a God who keeps his promise in Jesus Christ. That's all you have. That's all you have. You're not offered anything else. You can't get there without the promise-keeping work of God in Christ. You may believe that. You may not. It doesn't change the truth of it. Let's just pray. I don't always do this, but I have felt just inclined to do it around this Christmas season. And the church is just praying. No one's peeking around and and this service is streamed, but the cameras aren't on the audience. They're just on me. We've got that worked out. You have privacy. I just want to pray for you. It would be a terrible, terrible thing to go through this promised season of Christmas. It's all about the faithfulness of God to redeem and save and transform and give eternal life. It would be a terrible thing to miss that. If you're here and you might not, you might not be a theologian, you don't have to be, but you know you wrestle with, you know you wrestle with the guilt of your own conscience that tells you you're not, you're not right with God, let alone facing an absolutely holy God. You say, Pastor Don, I do know I need Jesus, and I've been putting this off way too long. 
And all I'm going to do is pray for you. I'm not calling you to the front. I'm not doing anything else. I just want to pray for you. Pastor Don, would you please pray for me? I need Jesus. I need the promise-keeping God to work new birth in my life. If that's you, just wave at me. Just put your hand up and say, yep, that's me. Thank you. I see it. There's no slick formula for this. This is just the way I feel comfortable doing it. We're all going to pray. I'm going to ask the whole church just to repeat this prayer after me. You who raised your hands, just mean these words from your heart. We just want to help you make a good confession of faith in Christ. And so we're all just going to say it with you. And you mean these words from your heart. So let's all pray together and in good voice. You got your mask on and stuff. I'd like to hear you all pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for speaking to my heart. You have promised a redeemer. You have sent the Redeemer. I receive the Redeemer. I cannot save myself. As you give me grace, I will live my life for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.